0: Hi everyone, welcome back to How to Win at GCSE Science with me, Mr. Booker. For many years, humans have known that blood was important. The ancient Greeks believed that blood was the cause of life, and that it was tied to an individual's soul. Ancient Egyptians would bathe in blood, believing it would rejuvenate them. Some Roman gladiators would even drink the blood of the people they battled in the arena, believing they would acquire their enemy's strength through doing so. So they weren't completely right, but to be fair to them, blood is super important. A huge chunk of what we learn in biology is all based around how we get stuff we need to where it needs to be. For example, we need to get oxygen from the air and glucose from our food into all of our cells for aerobic respiration. If we didn't have blood to carry useful things for our bodies, we wouldn't be able to get things where they need to be and our cells would die. We covered the heart last lesson, but the heart without blood would be like ant without deck, dumb without dumber, Matt Hardy without Jeff, completely useless. The heart simply exists to move blood around our body. So what is blood made of? Well just 4 things actually. Red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets and plasma. All of which are made in the bone marrow. Red blood cells have a biconcave shape. This just means they are circular and cave in at the middle. They are one of the few cells in the body that don't have a nucleus, which allows them to carry more haemoglobin. Not only is haemoglobin a really satisfying word to say, it's also a really important protein that can bind to oxygen and carry it to the parts of the body that need it. Your red blood cells have a bit of a rough time of it in the body, and as such they only live for around 120 days. Don't worry though, your bone marrow is constantly replacing them, making new cells. White blood cells are involved in the immune response. This just means what your body does if it's invaded by a microorganism that can cause infectious disease. We call this a pathogen. We'll look at immunity in detail when we get to B3, but for now it's enough to remember the three functions of white blood cells. Number one, they produce antibodies. Number two, they produce antitoxins, And number three, they carry out phagocytosis, which is a fancy word for engulfing pathogens. Don't worry about these too much at this stage though. All the detail will be covered in a later episode. Platelets are small fragments of cells that help blood to clot. Usually when we hear about blood clots they can sound pretty dangerous, which they are depending on where they develop, but blood clots are actually very important as they prevent an excessive loss of blood at an open wound. The next time you pick and flick a scab, you'll know exactly what it's made of. The majority of blood is made of plasma. Plasma is a straw coloured liquid that carries pretty much everything in the blood, including the other three components. It also carries nutrients like glucose and amino acids, carbon dioxide, urea, hormones, protein, and antibodies. So to quickly recap, blood is made of four components. Red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, and plasma. Be careful in the exam with this as sometimes people can get mixed up with the things blood carries and the things it is made of. We learned about the heart last time and how it pumps blood around the body. There isn't a huge volume of blood in the body between four to five liters, but it's constantly flowing and moving through a series of blood vessels. A vessel is just a term for something that can carry something else. There are three types of blood vessel that we need to know about. These are arteries, veins and capillaries. Arteries carry blood away from the heart. An easy way to remember this is that arteries and away both begin with the letter A. Because arteries carry blood away from the heart, they have to be able to withstand the high pressure caused by the ventricles contracting. To do this they have really thick walls made of muscle and elastic tissue, making them strong and flexible. The hole in the middle of a blood vessel is called the lumen. Because of the thick wall of the arteries, the lumen is only narrow. Arteries eventually branch out into tiny capillaries which extend into the body. Capillaries are incredibly small, they are only one cell thick and one cell wide. This allows them to carry blood really close to every cell in the body and makes them really good at exchanging substances. The thin wall increases the rate of diffusion due to a short diffusion pathway. Veins carry blood back into the heart. A way to remember this is because the word vein, V-E-I-N, contains the word in. As blood returning to the heart is returning at a lower pressure, it doesn't need to have a thick muscular wall like the arteries, so the walls of a vein are much thinner and therefore the lumen is wider. This lower pressure means that blood could flow backwards, so veins also have valves to prevent this happening. So to summarise, arteries carry blood away from the heart and have a thick wall made of muscle and elastic tissue with a narrow lumen. Veins have thinner walls than arteries, a wider lumen and have valves to prevent backflow. Capillaries are only one cell thick and one cell wide, meaning they have a short diffusion pathway to help them exchange substances with cells. If everything goes as planned, blood is pumped out of the heart through arteries, it extends into the cells in your body through capillaries and then returns to the heart through veins. This doesn't always work as smoothly as we would like, however, and this can be very dangerous for us. As we discussed in the last episode, the heart is a muscle that pumps continuously for your entire life. That muscle needs lots of oxygen for this to occur. And so it has a really good blood supply. The blood vessels that supply the heart with oxygenated blood branch off from the aorta and are called coronary arteries. These coronary arteries can become blocked by layers of fatty material, which causes the arteries to become too narrow. This can be bad news as it can restrict the flow of oxygenated blood to the heart and cause a heart attack. There are two main treatment options when it comes to coronary heart disease. These are stents and statins. Stents are tubes that are inserted inside the arteries. These hold the artery open to allow blood to flow to the heart muscle. Stents are effective for a long time and patients recover quickly from the operation. However, as with any operation, there is a risk of infection from the surgery. There's also a small risk of a patient developing a blood clot near the stent. This is called thrombosis. Statins are drugs that reduce the amount of cholesterol in the blood. Cholesterol is a lipid that can cause a buildup of fatty material in the coronary arteries. A common exam question will ask you to evaluate the uses of stents and statins. This just means saying the pros and cons of each one. This sort of question will usually ask for a conclusion as well. This is simply saying which one you think is the best and why. You can't lose marks for this, just make sure you remember to add one. The pros for stents are that the blocked artery is held open, allowing blood to flow to the heart muscle cells. They work for a long time and there's a rapid recovery time for a patient. The negatives to stents are the risk of infection from the procedure and the risk of a blood clot. The pros of statins are that they decrease blood cholesterol, which in turn slows the buildup of fatty material in the arteries allowing blood to flow to the heart muscle cells. The negatives to statins are that people may forget to take the drug, it has to be taken for a long time, there may be side effects of the drug, and the effects can take a long time to happen. If a patient has heart failure, doctors may perform a heart transplant. The first ever heart transplant operation took place in 1967. Nowadays around 200 heart transplants are carried out every year. If a donor heart isn't available when it's needed, doctors may fit an artificial heart instead. These usually aren't as effective as a natural heart and can lead to complications such as blood clots and strokes. They're often used as a temporary solution to allow someone time to find a suitable donor. A positive of an artificial heart is that as they're made of plastic and metal they're not rejected by the immune system like living tissue can be. More on this when we cover B3. Scientists are currently looking at improving this technology. A university in Israel managed to use a 3D printer to create an artificial heart just last year. The valves in the heart can become weakened or damaged over time by heart attacks, infection or just old age. This damage can prevent the valves opening properly or it can make them leak. Either of which means that blood can't flow properly around the heart. To treat this, the valve can be replaced using either a biological valve from a human or other mammal or it can be a man-made mechanical valve. The surgery involved in replacing the valve is far less drastic than a heart replacement, but it's still surgery, and therefore there are risks of infections and blood clots. So I hope this was useful. If you have any questions or specific topics you'd like covering, you can let me know on Twitter at MrBookerScience.